happy holiday season, friends of Hawcast. We have a quick special holiday announcement to bring you about an exciting opportunity for snake lovers across the nation. Our friend Jeff Galewood at JMG Reptile is offering Hognose mystery boxes for Christmas this year. So if you're interested in receiving an amazing box of high quality Hognoses from an incredible Hognose breeder who's well known and respected in the reptile community, reach out via his Instagram at JMG Reptiles for pricing and to get your limited time only mystery Hognose box. That's it for our holiday announcement. Merry Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate. Now let's get to the episode. I'm Heart. And I'm Moon. We're here to chat about hog noses and maybe some other reptiles too. This is an educational, inclusive podcast for reptile enthusiasts of all levels, where we get to invite keepers to combine their knowledge and experience with ours while sharing it with you. listeners and friends of all things scaly welcome to episode seven of heart and moon hogcast (laughs) welcome welcome hogcasters and thank you for joining us for another episode this one is titled hognose care part one and we're super excited to talk about it today i'm Susie moon of moonstone plains and with me today is my snake savvy co-host say hello you snake savvy co-host you oh hello Thanks, Susie. I am Trinity Hart of Hart Scales, and I'm really thrilled to finally get to talk about the care and keeping of hognose snakes. This is an episode I've been looking forward to recording from the beginning. Definitely same here. So let's dive into some slithery goodness. Today, we are going to go over some basic hognose care after you've done all the other stuff that we've been talking about in these other episodes, like quarantine and all of that. You've researched their care, you've found the great breeder or rescue that you trust, and you've got all your supplies ready, and now you finally have your hognose. Dun, da, da, da. Yay! Yay! The time has come, the hognose said, to play with <laughs> many snakes. And well, now that you've done all that, <laughs> you can get into one of the best parts of keeping snakes, and that is husbandry. Susie, would you like to provide a brief overview of everything that we're going to touch on today in part one? Absolutely, I would be happy to. Today we are going to talk about enclosures and the stuff to go in it, heating, lighting, temperature, thermostat, and thermometers. Absolutely, positively. By the way, you can never take too many notes, so before we even get into the enclosure, let's briefly go over some of the best and easiest ways to track your snake schedule, so growth, feeding, weight, etc. Sometimes everybody's day-to-day gets so packed and busy, especially with an animal that you're not feeding every single day when you don't have that steady routine. It can fall through the cracks. And especially when you have an exotic animal that has such a catered schedule that's very specific, you know, you don't want to forget things. Yeah. So I think we actually, we both use apps, right, Susie? But we use two different apps. So do you want to talk about yours first? Sure. So I actually use Reptile Buddy. I use the free version. I don't pay any of the premiums. There are options where you can pay money and get more detailed into the app. But I just use the basic. It allows you to use it for so many snakes. So if you have a collection of hundreds and hundreds of snakes, At that point, you're going to have to pay for the higher tier option. But if you have a dozen or so, you're perfectly fine. A dozen or two, you're good to use for free. And I would say it's just good enough to cover all the basics to be free and still be a good app. But I would definitely say there's lots of improvements I wish it had, which it probably has in the paid option, but I just don't, I don't, I'm not going to pay for it. So maybe if I have a hundred snakes later on in the future, I'll pay for a more sophisticated app. But this one's very, very basic. Essentially, you can record everything. You can record all the feeding. You could record all the breeding. You can actually organize your breeding pairs and kind of list all of their genetics and all of that. So I love that aspect. I didn't know you could do breeding pairs with that. That's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And then you can also record within that section how many confirmed locks, how many times you've paired them together and all of that, how many unconfirmed locks or whatnot, blah, 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 etc. So it allows you to do all of that. It's just a lot of you have to go in there and manually change all the options. Essentially, it's just not a streamlined app quite yet, but it does the job, you know? That is cool that it has so many options for the actual breeding part of that. I didn't know you could record locks and all that stuff with it too. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. And I also really like how even the little things for me, like being able to put their picture in association with their name and all of their info. I really like aspects like that. I would definitely recommend it. I've tried a couple of other ones like Snake Keeper and I can't remember a third one. And those weren't as good for the free option. So yeah, Reptile Buddy, I recommend no no sponsorship no no affiliation like that yeah we don't get paid anything from anybody <laughs> yeah Okay, cool. Well, I use, I've talked to you about it before, Sue. I use Snake Log and it's spelled S-N-E-K-L-O-G, like Snake. Oh, cute. And it's not technically an app, but you can save the website to your home screen so that it just basically looks and acts exactly like an app. Uh-huh. And it's very mobile friendly because that's what it's mainly meant for. You can add all of your reptiles to it. As far as I know, there's no limit. It's free. You can include their picture. So you have a name and a picture associated with each of your reptiles, their hatch dates, and where you got them from. You can also input their feeding schedule. So you can say, I feed a frozen mouse fuzzy once every four days. I can't imagine you'd feed a fuzzy every four days, but you know what I mean. So you can also put in their shedding schedule, their weight checking schedule, their cleaning schedule. You can pull it up each day and it will tell you if your snake is due to be weighed or due to be fed, if it needs cleaning or if it's going to be going into blue soon. There's a quick feed and a log handling option so you can even see when was the last time you held your snake and took it out. There's also a space for notes, so you can leave, like, will bite fingies. I have that (laughs) couple of notes for my snake. (laughs) Oh, no. You can even add the breeder's name, their email address, and your snake's parents in provided fields if you want to save that information. If you start breeding hog noses, you might want to switch to something like Husbandry Pro, which is husbandry.pro, which is what my husband and I are planning on doing the next year or so. We want to switch over to that. It is an app and a website, and it's extremely handy if you're breeding. So if you have a lot of snakes and it's hard to keep track, it's really handy. There is an optional URL provided where you can actually put your hog noses up for sale right through the app and people can buy from you there. It can create QR labels or NFC tags so you can scan to record each snake or rack's activity. You can export and import records to share with other breeders or with folks that are buying your snakes. You can give them records of their feeding logs, for example. You can keep genetics tables, parentage records, which is really handy for tracking like specific breeding projects. If you're just getting one hognose snake and all that sounds overwhelming to you, know that this is mainly used for breeders and keepers with lots of animals to keep track of. I still highly encourage keeping track of your snake's weight, feeding schedule, and cleaning schedule, even if you only have the one. And I mean, you can just do that in a logbook or a notebook that you repurposed. Some people use index cards with shorthand codes. You could use the snake log app like what Jared and I use. You could even just use a whiteboard. Like, Just make sure you know when your snake ate, when they last had a full substrate change and enclosure cleaning sanitization, and then keep track of their growth by weight, preferably every two weeks or so, at least until they're fully grown. Really good to just have this stuff recorded. Yeah, my first five snakes, I actually just went to Walmart and got $2 journals or $2 calendars. Oh yeah, calendar. And I named each one after each snake. So I had a Lilith calendar and I had a Norbert calendar and I had a Salazar journal and I would just hand record everything. And it's honestly kind of cute. Sometimes my friends would come over and be like, I read your notes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. There was this one time and it was literally right when I got Salazar. It was probably within the first month or so. And it was probably our first social session. And if anybody knows Salazar, he's super nonstop bluff strikey. And so the notes in his journal went as such. November such and such, you know, 27th. Today, Salazar yeeted himself out of my hands back into his tub. I am really worried that he hurt himself (laughs) from the fall. I hope he's okay. (laughs) Like It's like a snake journal. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. So you could do it whatever way you actually end up enjoying it. My friends had a lot of fun reading that. That was 
Okay, I kind of want to read that now if I'm <laughs> if I'm being honest. Dear diary. Or like, you know what? You should go super nerdy with it and go like Star Trek. Uh, Star date two point one nine three seven. I don't know how to. Do that. Oh my god! I can't come up with anything else clever, but that would be pretty great. <laughs> oh my god! I'm not a Trekkie, but that is so funny. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like someone who's in prison. What? <laughs> Snakes logs day fifty seven. Oh god! They have the tally marks on the wall of how many days they've been there. <laughs> Stay 47 in the rack. <laughs> We've gone without an incident for three days. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah, apps. Those are great. Those are cool. <laughs> also, notebooks, journals, calendars, silliness. It's all wonderful. As long as you're keeping some sort of record, you know, when you're feeding your snake. This is really important because you're going to want to know if something is going awry. If you're realizing, hey, my snake should be growing a little bit faster or maybe they're not growing or maybe they're even losing weight. Well, you can't know that if you're not A, weighing them, and B, tracking that weight somewhere. So if they're very young and they should be growing and they're not, then that gives you cause to look into it, to find out, okay, is my husbandry on point? Do I maybe need to get a fecal sample tested at the vet? Check and see what's going on with them if something's going wrong, but it's going to be a lot harder to tell if you're just eyeballing them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, by then it could be too late. So definitely keep track of this stuff. It's just part and parcel of keeping a snake is, is keeping records. Yes, and I'd say definitely the things I personally record are feedings. Obviously, if anything should happen with those feedings, any refusals or if any of them regurgitate. Some people record fecal matter as well. Like every time they have a bowel movement, they'll record that. I don't do that, but I just do make a mental note to make sure they poop after they eat. So if they pooped and I don't see feces somewhere within their enclosure, I would say within a week, I kind of question like, oh, uh-oh, are you okay? You know, that way you could just kind of keep track. Also, sheddings, those are super important. If a snake sheds too frequently, that can indicate illness as well. So knowing how frequently they shed, when was the last time they shed, when was the last time they shed before that, those things are important as well. Anything else you would record, Trinity? I'm trying to think. I do offered feedings that were refused. I think that's a really big one because then you can know how long they've been on a fast and how often you've actually tried to feed them. So for a couple of my snakes, I have that. My spotted python will sometimes refuse feeds. The only reptile that I have where I actually keep track of their stools is my leopard gecko care. And for anybody who's also watching my YouTube channel, Heart Scales, you might know that she's had digestive issues pretty much ever since I got her. Um, so with her, I do keep track of her poops because sometimes she'll go two weeks without pooping. And then I get real worried. Oh, no. <laughs> but ever since I've got her moved into another enclosure now where she has both undertank mat and she has an overhead halogen bulb during the day. Right. So... Ever since I moved her into that and I've kept her on a steady supplement ration of Nutribac, she's been pooping pretty consistently every three or four days. Yay! For the most part, she's doing much better. You know, if you have an animal where you, because I don't, I mean, I don't really feel the need to record their poops every time. They, that would take so much time. <laughs> I know. If you notice something is a little off, start recording it because that's a great way to go back. It's also good information to be able to give to your vet too. If you take your animal to the vet and they're saying, well, when was the last time they ate? You didn't write it down anywhere. You're just kind of going based off, I'm pretty sure they haven't eaten in a while. That's not a really great answer, <laughs> you know? Right. Not very helpful. Well, what's the next thing on the list? I think we have enclosures. Talking about enclosure sizes and what to put in them. Correct. An enclosure is just basically anything you put your snake into to keep them safe when you are not holding them. So that could be a rack, it could be a tub, it could be a tank, it could be a terrarium. In terms of sizes, for adult females not kept in a rack, I would recommend about a minimum of a 40 gallon or roughly 36 by 18 by 16 enclosure. The idea there being that female hog noses get to about three feet long as adults and your snake enclosure should be at least as long as your snake so they can stretch all the way out. That's usually kind of a rule of thumb. Adult male hog noses can be housed in a 20 gallon or something like a 
30 by 12 by 12 at the smallest. Hatchling hog noses can be housed in a 5 to 10 gallon terrarium or tank, although 10 is huge for a hatchling, preferably front opening for using a terrarium, or even better, a 6 quart tub. Hatchlings are often considered any hog nose under 25 grams in weight, so they're quite small, and at around 30 grams, that's when I like to move them into an 11 quart tub or something around that size if they're very active and like to explore. Some people will keep them in a 15 quart tub kind of just forever. At around 70 grams, I would be moving them into a 23 quart tub. That's where I have my biggest hog noses right now. None of mine are fully grown. We'll see then. Right now, a 23 quart tub, it's about 22 inches long and just under 15 inches wide, is working for all of my largest hog noses. If they were to get to full grown adult females and they're still on a rack, I would probably prefer to go to a 45 quart tub. And that's roughly 33 inches long by 18 inches wide. You'll just want to pay attention to your snake's individual personality. Some may do better in smaller spaces and some really need larger spaces. When I was telling Susie, I've seen breeders of ball pythons, keepers and breeders of hog noses, and even breeders of crested geckos all experience that, you know, that one reptile or several that actually thrive in a smaller space over a larger space. So there is no one size fits all. Take care of your snake the way your snake needs to be cared for. Yeah, definitely. I think the key component that we seem to kind of press across all of our episodes would be that individualized care and paying attention to the needs of your personal snake is so, so important because somebody can listen into our podcast and say, oh my gosh, what are they talking about? My hog nose is in a four by two by two and I feel like they utilize every single inch. So I can't even imagine putting my hog nose into a 20 three quart rack Mm -hmm. another person will say dude i've been struggling with my adult female hognose snake not eating unless she's in a 15 quart rack i can't move her into anything bigger because every time i do she goes on a month-long hunger strike or two months or three months like i've actually had to encounter i was gonna say yeah that's what you've been experiencing right yeah when first got rowena let me tell you the very first two weeks she ate right off the tongs bam bam and i said yes i got a winner (laughs) boy did she psych me out we like it when they eat guys (laughs) yeah immediately after those two feedings that she took she went on a three-month hunger strike she said oh no (laughs) no 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 So she literally, yeah, went from feeding off tongs to saying absolutely not. And do you think I was able to move her out of her 15-quart tub? No, I was absolutely not about to move her into an even bigger enclosure and have her pretty much just permanently go off feed. So she was in her 15-quart tub well up until she was, gosh, over 100 grams. Wow. Yeah, over 100 grams. And she was definitely the length of the longest side of the tub, but she could not be moved to anything bigger. Otherwise, she would just starve herself. So she and I went through a lot. Now she's just, as they say, slamming down, slamming down the mice. Slamming down those pinkies like a champ. I know. Or Well, she's eating mice, but yeah. The saying always seems to be slamming down pinks. But yeah, don't listen to this and say, well, my hog knows, because obviously that's what we want. We want you to cater to the needs of your personal hog nose snake. Yes. If your hog nose snake wants to be in an 8 by 4 by 12 I don't care. Like, it's, I know that's not an actual enclosure size. The point is, just pay attention to the needs of your hog nose snake. If it's not eating, go a size down. If they're thriving and you see them exploring, put them a size up. Put them in a bigger enclosure. Try it out. See how they do. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's important to take a few moments here to address anyone who's concerned about keeping snakes in racks. Breeders keep their snakes, including hognose breeders, differently than keepers who have them solely as pets. It is a hot topic for many people and for fair reason. Some of the concerns that non-breeders have include the snake's ability to move and explore properly, to engage in natural behavior, to receive flight. These are things that good breeders consider though, and they pay attention to their hognose's mental well-being alongside their physical well-being. 
as someone aspiring to breed hog noses, these are things that I take very seriously. I've been an animal lover all my life. I've dedicated many years of my life to learning about pet care, pet nutrition, and doing what I can to raise awareness so that other pet lovers can do better with their care. So eventually, yes, my husband and I would like to have all of our adult hog noses, which all of ours are still quite young, none of them are adult yet, in their own big proper enclosures, and only their offspring will be kept in racks, which are perfectly sized for baby hog noses, until they find new homes. In the meantime, absolutely all of our hog noses get hides, they get enrichment in the form of fake leaves, flowers, interesting decor that we take out and clean and switch around often. They're socialized, they're held several times a week, they get to go outside and enjoy the sunshine with us whenever possible. We've named each of our hog noses. There are pets, they're as much a part of our family as my chinchilla binks and my dog Suki. They absolutely do not spend their whole lives in a dark barren tub with no attention, as some might imagine when they think of a snake breeder. And many snake breeders get into this hobby because they love snakes. There are definitely some bad apples out there, and I'm not going to deny that, but those people are not us. The breeders who take poor care of their snakes should and do get called out, and I also think the best snake breeders have no qualms about sharing what their reptile rooms and facilities look like because transparency means you have nothing to be hide. So know that not every reptile breeder is equal, as we talked about in depth in our previous episode on how to choose a good breeder, and Susie and I are huge animal lovers who treat our snakes like family. Yep. I mean, I think there was a huge, vast amount of information to learn about the exotic trade. It is a mind shift because for somebody who's completely ignorant of our community and what we do and what we believe is fit for our animals. So I get it. Sometimes it's hard to come in and look in from the outside and you think that, oh, they're just in a plastic cell, pretty much like a prison cell. No, not really. And if you knew these animals and if you knew what they truly want, you wouldn't even be asking that. You should be asking, are their brains stimulated the way that they might be by living in nature or are they, you know what I mean? Are their, are their needs met? I think that's the key is ultimately we ask you to not speak negatively upon something that you're not familiar with. If you have any questions, we are happy to answer. We're happy to show you whatever you want to see. Trinity and I accumulatively have done years of research into these species and just into snakes in general and have really bonded with these creatures. I know that they don't bond with us the same way that dogs or cats might, but we have bonded with them in a way that we have grown to love them as our pets. We understand that they're reptiles and they're not capable of things like love and, and, and wanting affection, but there's a special triumphant, happy, accepted feeling when a wild animal voluntarily crawls onto your hand when they have the option to run the other way. That makes us feel motivated to want to do the best for them. So understand this is us doing the best for them because we truly do love them and care about them and, and want what's best for them. So yeah, I think the point is that our animals can be stimulated to encourage natural behaviors without necessarily being in a naturalistic environment. Yeah. And that's one of the things that a lot of very good breeders know. There are scores of studies that back this up too, that you can review where facilities like zoos have things tested like this. I think they did a lot of these tests on primates where they will show that their animals will thrive both mentally and physically in an environment that looks barren, sterile, clinical looking with just a couple of toys in it. But the animals would actually do better in that because the toys that they have made or the way that they have set it up was very specifically created to stimulate them to give them things to do and helps them you know think about things and use tools etc whereas when they just did a naturalistic environment they would get bored they would pace they actually weren't as happy because they didn't have things that were meant specifically to stimulate them it just looked really pretty and it made the onlookers feel happy but it didn't make the animal feel happy and i'm not gonna sit there and say that every breeder is great and every breeder does care like this but there are a lot of breeders that do and sometimes something can look like it's not great but you have to ask the questions you can't take a glance be like well this isn't how i'd keep my snake yeah and then assume that means that someone else is doing it wrong and that means we're doing the same thing as somebody who has snakes both as pets and as animals that i plan on breeding i have snakes in racks and i have snakes in big fancy enclosures that are naturalistic and that's because i am a pet lover as well as somebody who's planning on breeding snakes and when you combine those two when you have somebody who loves animals as much as we do and is going to be breeding them 
you can bet your booty <laughs> those snakes are going to be taken care of the best way possible. So wrapped doesn't necessarily mean evil. I personally don't think like that. I don't think in terms of black and white. I'm not a Sith, man. I don't deal in absolutes, okay? I mean, Trinity builds literal enrichment boards and ladders for her snakes. I literally, on good temperature, good weather days, will take my snakes to the park and let them soak in the sun and maybe interact with some people that are interested and stuff like that. So it's, say they're spoiled is, is not right, but to also say that they're just a lump sitting in a tub. They're well loved and well cared for, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Fabulous. Well, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't not address the elephant in the room because I know talking about breeding animals can be kind of a, a touchy subject. I also know that talking about keeping snakes in racks can certainly make some people upset. I know that there are great people out there who love animals, who have taken in animals that used to be in a breeding facility and those animals were not well cared for. Yeah. That is not the standard. No. That is not what we support. That is not what we do and that is not what we're okay with. What we're okay with is people who take good care of their animals yeah and that doesn't mean keeping them in a tiny tub with no hides no light no socialization that's not what we're about and i just want to make sure that we make that perfectly clear because this is something that's really important to us and we really 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 love our animals oh absolutely so felt like it needed to be said and also we've done enough research on this specific species to understand that they can thrive in rack systems that does not mean that we're saying that all species of all snakes can thrive in racks. There are species that I would love to keep right now, like literally today, that I don't because I don't have room for a giant enclosure in my room. <laughs> false water cobra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not at all dreaming about lavender false water cobras when I sleep at night. <laughs> I'm not at all getting one tattooed on my arm right now, literally. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, though. She's writing in her pretend journal about her pretend <laughs> false water. <laughs> today, I thought about what it'd be like if I was holding my cobra today. It's, okay, this is how bad it is. So I know I can't get a false water cobra until I buy a house. So I've linked those two goals together. Oh, wow. So that's actually why I want to work so hard to buy a house. <laughs> it's like... I mean, yeah, sure, the security is super nice, but I get to get false water cobras. All right, don't take this the wrong way, but that is such a millennial viewpoint. And I say this as an elder. I say this as an elder millennial. We strive to get houses so that our dogs can have backyards, right? That's yes! That's what we care about. <laughs> we know we're never going to get that dream because times they are a changing and getting a house is a pipe dream. But right. we would love to get a house so that our dog can have a backyard and so that I can have a bearded dragon and so that you can get your false water cobra. Yeah. These are the kinds of things that we dream about in the night. Yeah. And they're just too big. In my opinion, they're too smart to be kept in Iraq. I think they just need a little bit more stimuli. I think they need a little bit more space, especially with the semi aquatic feature i mean how are you gonna have a semi-aquatic rack tell me yeah yeah i agree with that not every snake can be a rack snake and not every rack is evil and not every rack is good right talk to the person who you're looking at any breeder that you're looking at ask them questions and gauge see how much they care see the thought that they put into it ask if you can see the inside of the tubs i will show my tubs anytime i don't care you know you want to see the cleanliness you want to see the enrichment you want to see that the snakes aren't i would say hiding away and striking but that's a hognose <laughs> that's just kind of the yeah. way they are <laughs> But You're like, oh, so good. You are hiding away and striking. <laughs> Healthy. But I also have some hog noses that every time I open up the tub, they immediately come out and come onto my hand and they're happy to see me. Yep, they're special. They're special. All right, let's move on to heating. Heating is the next most important thing after enclosures, right? Absolutely. Improper heating can cause some serious illness or even death in your snake. So for hognose snake, western hognose snake specifically, that's Heterodon nasicus, temperatures should be between 90 to 95 degrees max at their basking spot, and then their cool end should be somewhere between 70 to 75 degrees. You're going to want thermometers, that's anything that can read or measure temperature, on both ends of the tank on the substrate so that you can at a glance see what the temp is on their cool side and on their hot side. In terms of what we use to heat, I would say most keepers and breeders with hog noses probably use heat tape, maybe sometimes heat mats depending. Heat tape is great, it's inexpensive, 
It comes in a bunch of different sizes and wattages. It's the preferred method for undertake heating in racks especially. It's long lasting, it's easy to work with. If you use heat tape, I would say make sure it's a brand meant specifically for reptiles. Reptile Basics has a brand called THG Heat that my husband and I use. It works perfectly. If you're curious to learn more about heat tape, how it works, how to use it, you can find plenty of YouTube videos, blogs, articles explaining how to use heat tape properly. Make sure also that you're doing a test on yours for at least 24 hours before putting your hognose on it. We'll discuss the discrepancies of what's going to be on the thermostat and the actual temperature that we're aiming for of where the snake's going to be touching the tub and all of that. So up on top of this substrate, it gets about 89 yeah. at the highest. And then down below, it gets to like 91 to 92, right up against where the tub is touching the heat mat. Yeah. Some people will take it all the way up to 95. That would be the maximum temperature. I haven't read like a million articles, but I do literally ask all the main big time Cognos breeders about their temps and about their th what they aim for and all of that. Mm -hmm. And, but I've literally never heard anyone go over 90. Really? Yes. And I've even had some people tell me that 90 is too high. And I'm talking about within the last like six months of me accumulatively asking all the hognose breeders what they keep their temps on. Right. I've asked Jeff, obviously, of JMG Reptiles. And I've also asked AJ Hernandez of Hernandez Hoggies. I've asked honestly so many people, even Kevin or Jenny of Rostral Reptiles. It could be it's different for breeders versus keepers as well. I think a lot of the guides that you're going to find are going to be geared towards people who are getting them as pets because they're trying to make sure that they're, you know, not killing off their sperm and <laughs> things like that. I know, but I'm asking them, like, what do you keep your baby racks on? What do you keep your adolescent <laughs> racks on? What do you keep? Like, I'm asking them what they raise them on too. I'm not just saying, like, what are your racks on? I ask them specifically, hey, what temp are your baby racks at? Like, what temp do you keep your breeding racks at? What temp do you keep your breeding females, breed your males? I'm I'm annoying enough to ask all those stupid questions and they seem to be nice enough to answer them for me. And the highest I've ever heard anyone say is 90. I think the basking spot is different from belly tum and what's healthy for belly tum. You wouldn't have a basking spot if you're only using under tankini. Right. Basking spots are from when the light comes from above and creates like a basking spot. So when you say basking, I think of overhead heat. You think of sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. If they're doing as natural a behavior as they can, that's the closest they can get to basking if that's the only source of heat that they have. I feel like nowadays there's been newer info. And then if it was published a couple years ago, that's probably information from even a year before that because they had time to accumulate it and post it and blah, blah, blah. Recent research that I've personally done seems to be that the temps should be a little lower than they have thought to been necessarily be. Active current breeders, they don't seem to suggest going above 90, but we still need more research. Temperature recommendations will vary depending on who you ask. And I personally wouldn't feel comfortable with going all the way up to 95. That seems hotter than necessary. So just keep that in mind when you're looking at guides. It could be that they're either outdated or that what we've learned from personal experience differs from what is thought based on their natural habitat. Did you know that some people don't even give any heat to their babies? No heat to their babies? Yeah, like I don't know where they live to where that their standard practice, but they don't provide any heat tape to their hatchlings. Hmm. Maybe if you live in Australia or something where it gets really freaking hot during the time of year they'd be having babies, you wouldn't want heat tape. I think it was phantom hogs. Phantom or Fathom? It was either Phantom Hogs or another one of those company that's affiliated with Europe. That's all I recall is I remember my brain being like, oh, one of those big time European companies. Okay. But you know how I'm always asking, or I, at least for the past year, I've been asking Discord, oh, what temp you guys do this? What temp, you know? And they were like, our baby racks don't have heat tape. And you know, oh, I remember what we were discussing. It was because they were saying they pressure wash their baby racks. And I was like, how do you pressure wash your baby racks? Do you take out the electrical tape? They were like, we don't give heat for tape. I was like, what? Do they have a temperature controlled room that they keep their babies in? That would have been a good question to ask. I did not have the foresight to ask that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. 
And what do they typically keep there? Because they keep them in racks, I'm assuming, all of the ones you mentioned. Yeah. What do they typically keep the hottest temperature at, you know, like where their heat tape is, touching the bottom? 90. 90. Yeah. So there you go, folks. Some people will keep it 90 degrees at the hottest. And then I've even heard some people try to contradict me on that and say that that's even too hot. So you're going to get so many variants on different people's opinions, on their own personal experience, on hog noses. So just keep an open mind because I can almost promise you, you'll hear a contradiction no matter what temperature you say that you keep yours at. Someone is going to say, oh my gosh, I keep mine on this. So just do your own research and you ask who you respect and you put together what you think is best for your own snakes, essentially. If we were to agree on a temperature here on the podcast, we would say keep it at around 90, right? Yes. So within a few degrees of 90. Right. I think the key thing to remember is that should anything happen, let's say your thermostat malfunctions and it drops to 85, don't freak out and think your snake's going to die right away. It's... Oh, no. <laughs> it, it will be okay. Yeah. This is talking about having that highest temperature so they want to get really warm, especially when they're digesting, for example, they can. Yeah, exactly. I think my biggest fear, obviously, is the fact that they won't be able to digest their food and it'll just rot in their stomach. But just don't don't be scared that, oh my gosh, it's not right at 95, so it's not going to be able to digest. They're a little bit hardier than that. Yeah, well, and 95 would be the absolute maximum. If you get to 95, it's like, don't go any further. You're at the limit. Right. So being up at the limit all the time isn't necessarily what we're going for. We're saying here's a safe space to be within and there's okay to be fluctuation. There's okay to be variation, especially different times of the year or day to night as well. Usually it's a little cooler at night. Right. Yeah. Okay. Their range literally goes from Texas to Canada. So it's going to, it's going to vary like crazy. Yeah. That's another reason why hog noses are so great as pets because they're so forgiving of variances in husbandry. <laughs> and they're so little and cute and their nose is like a pug's and you could boop it and they just, <laughs> all they do is boop you back. <laughs> so I have to tell you because... Now you're talking about how cute they are. I have a picture of Truffle that I'm going to send you on Discord right now where she looks as though she was born into royalty and she's very annoyed with everything you're doing right now. Oh my god. Now. Hold on. You name her after one of the most expensive ingredients in cooking and you wonder why she acts like a snoot? You might as well have named her Gold Flake. Like I'm going to name my next one Caviar. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm putting it in Discord Hartman Hogcast right now. Okay. Tell me that does not look as though she believes she is royalty. Oh my gosh. She's waiting for her cape and her crown right now. He's like, um. Oh my gosh. If turned up nose was a, an actual living, breathing animal, truffle, ma'am, <laughs> Miss Foie Gras. <laughs> okay. I only accept the fanciest of mice. You know what's really sad is people who don't make much money talking about what we imagine rich people eat. Oh! Because <laughs> we don't know. So we just name the like, most expensive hot Cheetos. We can make like, this is how y'all live, right? Hey, listen, I've eaten cup noodles for, I don't, I can't even count yeah. how many times. I can't look at ramen anymore. I cannot look at top ramen. There was a period of my life where I lived off of nothing but, uh, and it was literally just ramen in the morning, ramen for lunch, ramen for dinner. No. And I had to come up with new and interesting ways to make the ramen look different, taste different in any way. And I, as an adult, I have never bought a single package of top ramen because I just can't. Oh, please tell me you at least like authentic Japanese ramen. You know what I do like about authentic Japanese ramen is their eggs because their eggs are insane. Like I will order it just for the egg. <laughs> you know, you could just order the egg, right? <laughs> you can? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you can. You could have ordered six eggs for the price of ordering a ramen just for the oh. egg. <laughs> okay, note to self, uh, do not take Trinity to eat Japanese ramen when she comes. Okay. Uh okay. So we've talked about <laughs> we've talked about heat tape. Yes. Another option, of course, for undertake heating is heat mats. I would like to recommend Ultratherm by Reptile Basics and Reptitherm by Zoomed for good heat mat options in terms of brands. Did you have any thoughts on that? No, the only thing I want to add on that is that Reptile Basics has a great Black Friday sale. Ooh. Which by the time this comes out is not gonna matter. 
next year. <laughs> yeah, next year. Oh, always get your stuff on Black Friday if you can, because holy crap. Including your hog nose. Oh yeah, the, the animals go for sale too. I just got a second enclosure for Moon. So now Star and Moon both have their big enclosures <gasps> because it was already on sale for $200. And then Black Friday, they took off another $30. So it was $170 for this giant enclosure. Where'd you get it from? Dubia. So it's the Reptile Supply, I think it's called. Or no, Reptile. Is it Reptile Supply? Whatever the brand is that Dubia sells for enclosures. It says Reptile something on it. Oh, okay. I love them. That's what I used for Kiriko when I first got her. They are so easy to put together. They feel really sturdy. They look and they feel expensive, but they're not. And I didn't even need instructions. It didn't come with any, but thankfully I didn't need any. <laughs> You're like, I didn't even need instructions. And I only had these three extra pieces that they gave me. <laughs> it was, they were super easy to put together. I wanted to get the Leap Habitat ones. Oh yeah. But they have weird sizes. I was looking at that. And then they either have the 15 by 17 by 24 or the 22 by 17 by 24. So I was like, okay, I'll get the bigger one, but they're out of the bigger ones. Oh, of course they are. Okay, so then I'm just upgrading from a 12 to a 15. I'm only upgrading three inches and I'm paying like 200 bucks. No, thank you. Yeah. At that point, it doesn't really feel worth it. Yeah. So I guess I might be getting a dubia enclosure. <laughs> and they're good size. It's huge. They can live in that absolutely for the rest of their lives. I was looking at how big it was like, crap, maybe I should cohab that. <laughs> Is it 18 by 18 by 24? No, it's bigger. 24 by 18 by 36. What? Yeah, it's huge. I swear to God, Dubia has some of the best stuff and people don't seem to know that. <laughs> They each have their own giant ones, so whatever. Yeah, it's fine. girl! <laughs> That's what I want to have for all of my pets eventually. You know, every single one of these snakes in a giant enclosure. Oh. And none of them are full-grown anyway. They're all still young, so. No extra brands for... I want to say no thoughts. That sounds rude. No, uh, no extra <laughs> brand recommendations? Are you happy with those yes, brands? Yes, no thoughts either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you want to ensure that the heat mat is under the enclosure and never in the enclosure oh my god yes yeah heat mats cords bulbs wires probes all that should be outside of the enclosure there are exceptions sometimes there are setups for bulbs inside the enclosure i have one like that myself they have safety cages around them so that your snake doesn't get burned sometimes probes are used inside the enclosure with these setups these are very specific carefully done setups that have considered all the ways in which a snake could and will hurt itself so unless you have a setup like that and really know what you're doing just keep all that stuff out of it but heat mats will never be in the enclosure. Your heat mat will need to cover no less than one third of the bottom and no more than half. Half would probably be too much, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it would just be hard to have a heat gradient and just put yourself in the shoes of, well, no shoes on snakes, but <laughs> put yourself into the feet. Well, okay, anyway. <laughs> I'm just saying, just imagine you're sitting in a sauna all day long. Oh, like day, yeah. No. Oh, God. You want to go in the jacuzzi? You want to go in the cool part of the pool? You want to go back into the jacuzzi? You want to go back into the pool? Yeah. So you want to allow them to not just cook, basically. Imagine if you could never leave the sauna. Yeah. That was just where you live now. That would be horrendous. So don't do that to your snake. That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> yes. Also because your snake needs a gradient of temperatures, not just really hot to really cold. You want a gradient from their hottest spot to a warm spot to a cooler spot to the coolest spot in their tanks. This is important because as an ectotherm, an animal that acquires its body heat from external environment rather than from an internal source like us, they don't have any other options. They have to use their environment to do that. So if you only give them two options, you're probably not going to have a super healthy snake. So give them a, that gradient. That's really important. So the next way to provide heat, of course, is with a heat bulb, or you can use a radiant heat panel. You can use things like ceramic heat emitters, halogen lamps, deep heat projectors. All of those options are fine, though I personally prefer deep heat projectors and halogen lamps because they have the ability to actually mimic heat from the sun. They will penetrate your pet's skin so they get that deep heat down to their muscle tissues like they would from the sun. The main difference is that halogen bulbs also produce light, so they can't be on to give your snake warmth at nighttime. Right. You'll need that secondary source of light, like a ceramic heat bulb or a deep heat projector. Arcadia, Exoterra, and Pangea actually all make excellent heating bulbs. 
you really want to make sure you are choosing the right size and wattage for your size of tank and your size of animal. You don't want to get a big, strong, super high wattage for a tiny snake, especially not in a tiny tank, because not only are you very likely to dry your tank out and remove all the humidity and overheat the entire tank and remove the gradient so your pet has no escape, you also risk them just essentially getting cooked. Like, we don't want that. No. And then in terms of where you can get more information, where you can buy these, places like Josh's Frogs, the Biodude, and Reptifiles, these can all help you determine what size of bulb to use, depending on your current size so that you don't cook your snake or fail to get them enough heat. Utilize your resources. If you join a reptile group or a Discord group or some other social media platform, this can also be a great resource. I would just say make sure you get several opinions from different sources. You don't want to get all your info from one person who then turns out to not actually know what they're talking about and then you base everything on this one person. Always, always get different sources. Cross-reference everything. Can I just tell you that I read on Facebook today about somebody who was told to feed Cricket to their hognose snake? No, 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 no. <laughs> yes. So that's why we say get multiple sources of information. Ask everybody who will listen. I don't care if you think you're being annoying, be annoying. Be annoying for your snake, because who cares? If these people aren't going to message you, oh well, then just ask someone else, you know? Ask me. I'm happy to answer. Ask either of us, and did you want to give your personal Instagram one more time for anybody who hasn't heard it the last time? My Instagram is moonstoneplains, P-L-A-I-N-S. You can go ahead and DM me. I'll go ahead and respond eventually. I'm so sorry if I don't do it really fast, but I promise I get to you. It's because whenever someone that you're not following DMs you, it, you go into like a different folder. So I don't always see that. Yeah, it's like hidden requests or something. Right. I don't always see that right away, but as soon as I see it, I promise you I respond to it as soon as I see it. So I will get to you. Yep. Yep. You can also reach out to me. My personal Insta is trinities underscore edge. That's T-R-Y-N-I-T-I-S underscore edge you can also leave me comments or go check out my heart scales youtube channel dude your videos are so fun to watch i love the get to know your series i'm so glad you like that <laughs> yeah, so cute and it's cute getting to see it like all the little animals and live vicariously through you because i can't have things like chinchillas and stuff like that so i'm like mm -hmm. oh yeah <laughs> I call him my overgrown squirrel. I swear, if chinchillas had wings, they'd be a mystical creature. They look like they shouldn't exist in this world. <laughs> they do kind of have a little bit of a fun mystical, especially Binks because he's a black pearl. Yeah, like a squirrel from Alice in Wonderland. He has an all black back and then an all white tummy with uh -huh. pink nose, pink ears, pink hands. And almost like he's wearing like a little tuxedo all the time. He's a fancy boy. Oh, why are all your pets so fancy? Miss Caviar and Truffle, Mr. Binks <laughs> with his tuxedo. I don't know, man. I don't know how this happened. You're so bougie. Well, I've never been described as that before. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one. The name brands we like are Combo Morphs. Ooh, I like that. Okay, so thermostats and thermometers. Super, super important. Of course, you want to make sure that you have a thermostat. This is probably one of the points where this is one of the few hard lines for me. This is of the utmost importance. Besides having a safe place to be contained, heat is the single most important part of your snake's livelihood, their temperature. They need it to be right. Don't take risks with this. You need to have a thermostat to control as precisely as possible the temperature variances in your pet's tank. Without a thermostat, those heat mats, heat tape, and heat bulbs we all just talked about are potentially very dangerous and have many, many times in the past gotten far too hot, burned, and killed people's pets. So don't mess around with this. Get a thermostat. I don't know what else to add to that because it's just literally how, how importantly she stressed it. That's it. If you don't have a thermostat to turn your heat on and off, it's just on the whole time. So do the math. <laughs> Yeah, and they can get to their maximum temps, which can be quite high, and you don't want that either. Yeah, it's well over 100, I know that. Even with the safety features. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard up to 120. Yeah. Yeah. We've heard stories of people's entire racks getting melted and all their all their animals didn't survive. It's that serious. Yeah. Don't spend $1,000 on a snake and then refuse to buy a $20 to $50 thermostat. Yep. 
that's it and then we both feel very strongly also that you need to have good thermometers so you're going to want to make sure that you have some placed on the substrate where your snake actually is it does no one any good to know the temperature of the glass or the plastic of your enclosure several inches above your snake's <laughs> head where they are not living right a non-contact infrared thermometer which is often referred to as a temp gun is extremely handy for this it is only precise when used correctly however so make sure you're not trying to measure from some odd angle from two feet away how and where an IR thermometer is used affects the measurement it takes. If there's a radiant heat source nearby, for example, this can affect its reading. And actually the best practice is to leave your IR thermometer or temp gun in an environment where you're testing for at least 10 minutes prior to use. Don't store it in a cold garage or in a bathroom somewhere or anywhere far away from your snake tank or rack and then go just test their temperature. The readings can be affected by the temperature of the environment. Many of these temp guns have a laser. This is just to help you see where you're pointing. The laser itself does not measure the temperature of the object. The gun is doing that. Just because you can see the laser on something from 10 feet away doesn't mean it's actually getting that thing's temperature. It's getting the temperature of something in between there. Keep in mind, these are infrared thermometers. They can only measure surface levels and can be affected by the energy of nearby object. Don't just take one reading from a single spot. Take several, move it around. Make sure nothing else is within a few inches that could interfere with the proper reading. Temp guns are super handy. They're good for every reptile keeper to have, but they can also give you readings that aren't accurate if you're not using them properly. Read the guidelines. There's even YouTube videos you can watch that'll show you how to get the most accurate reading possible. And once you've nailed down that method, these are some of the best tools for getting temp readings anywhere and everywhere in your snake's enclosure. And if you'd like more tips and advice on thermometers, thermostats, you can also, again, reach out to Suzy or I on our personal Instagrams anytime. We have lots of thoughts. <laughs> I know, you can't shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to. Okay, so the, <laughs> the, the last thing... <laughs> Dang it, why am I laughing? I it's because that okay was like a hiccup. It was like, oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it was cute. Lighting is the last thing for part one of this hognose care guide. Yes. So this is a pretty simple one because hognoses don't technically need UVB lighting or any kind of special lighting. Light in the room is good enough. A proper day-night cycle is essential. So having the lights on for about 10 to 12 hours during the day and then turning them off at night mimics their natural environment and gives them a day-night cycle. And like I said, most hognos do just find using the light in the room. So just flipping the light switch on and off. Or if you have enough natural light coming in, that's plenty. It can be difficult for that light to get into a rack. So you want to make sure it's a nice bright light and that you have, if possible, the see-through tubs that allow in some light so that they can have that day-night cycle. Susie and I like to take them outside and give them some sunshine as, as much as we can too. There are studies that suggest UVB lighting is beneficial for even nocturnal reptiles and hognoses are diurnal or active during the daytime. So they would certainly be receiving some UVB in the wild. If you want to, and you're able to go all out on a UVB bulb, I suggest either Arcadia or Zoomed. They have some of the best bulbs available. Make sure you do your research before you get one of these bulbs. Too strong of a UVB bulb, especially one placed too close to your snake, can give your snake a sunburn almost said a snake burn. You'll want to, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so cute. You'll want to ensure that your bulb is anywhere from one half to two thirds of the terrarium length, but never the full length of the terrarium. They need a little place to get away from it. And distance between the bulb and your pet determines the exposure that they get to UVB. So these are all things you'll want to consider if you do go this route. So again, check with pros like the BioDude, ZooMed, Josh's Frogs. They even have people you can chat with to ensure you get the appropriate size and wattage for your enclosure. If you do go that route, I highly recommend dropping the extra couple hundred bucks on also getting a solar meter. This is a UV index meter. My husband and I have one. It will measure the UV in your tank at different heights so you can ensure that your UV isn't too strong. It's better it be a little too weak than too strong. You can look up your specific species appropriate Ferguson zone, which for a hognose snake I believe is zone two, meaning they should receive no more than two to three UVI top and your solar meter can ensure that that is the case even at the highest level in their tank. So you can learn a lot more about UVB for your snake on Reptifiles for those interested and some of those other places I mentioned. I use UVB for my corn snake and my crested geckos only at this time. 
My hog noses are in racks, so the only UVB they get is when I take them outside. That's one reason why I try to give them 10 to 15 minutes outside of me a few times a week. But remember, hog noses are, certainly are not going to die without UVB. This is not necessary for their survival. Most people don't have UVB for their hog noses. There are just ways to increase your snake's overall well-being if you have that option you want to do it. I don't know what to say after you finish on the long rants because they're so informative. I'm just like, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like I pop in and I'm like, I concur. <laughs> You're like, mm-hmm. what she said. <laughs> I'm a gopher. I just pop up <laughs> three more weeks of winter. <laughs> and <then I> just... <laughs> uh, you're a funny girl. I was going to ask what you know about, because I know, I think, far less about this than you do. What you know about appropriate light cycle and temps for, if you just want to give like a real quick rundown for winter or brumation period, depending on who might do that, because that is also a big part of hognose care and it is related to lighting and heat. Sure. There's two ways that you can encourage snakes to essentially go through their ovulation system. One would be to brumate and another would be expose them to a day-night cycle that you can time to make shorter or longer according to the seasons, right? So if, if you have the luxury of having a whole entire reptile room that you can put on a light cycle specifically so that you can control their ovulation, you can actually do that. So obviously I'm not saying literally trigger their ovulation, but <laughs> during the springtime is generally going to be when a hognose snake will ovulate. So making the days shorter through the winter and then increasingly making it a little bit longer through the spring will make it so that essentially you do the same thing as putting them through a brumation system. Yeah, because I think some people will just do different light cycles instead of true brumation, right? Yes. So you literally don't even have to brumate snakes at all. If you choose to just put them through a light cycle. Now, keep in mind, nature is not predictable. So I don't mean put them by a window because you need to mimic the light cycle of their, what do you say, homeland? What is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> uh, of their native environment. Yeah. Essentially, you need to mimic the light cycle of their native environment. So if you live in the UK, where it's a lot colder, humidity is a lot higher, the days are a lot shorter, it's a lot darker because of how rainy it might be, you're going to have to make sure that you have maybe a small bedroom or a side room that you can actually have the lights turn on and off specifically to cycle them, to trigger their breeding, essentially, to make that male really say, oh my gosh, where are the females at? I think that's how Adam from Wiccan's Wicked Reptiles does it. I think he just puts them through a shorter light cycle stage during winter and that's how he quote unquote brumates them. Right. And that's the thing with brumation is we are just trying to control the timing a little bit more or we're just trying to time it so that we can make sure that they get the ovulation. Well, it's supposed to help with encouraging breeding behaviors, but it's right. also been shown to help elongate their lifespans. Oh, right, right, right. So it does do that. So essentially, think of it like this. This isn't actually scientifically the way it is, but let's say everybody is given 10,000 heartbeats, right? And at the end of the 10,000 heartbeats, you die. So when you put them through a brumation system and cool them down, their heart rate actually lowers a lot. So their heartbeat slows down, which means what happens? Their lifespan is increased. So I'm not actually saying there's 10,000 heartbeats and then they die at the end of it. I'm just <laughs> giving that as an example of how you understand how brumation lengthens lifespan in a hognose snake. Okay. Yeah, essentially you're giving their metabolism a rest. So if you rest your metabolism, your body's not working so hard to take care of itself and that can elongate your lifespan. Correct. Even with the light cycling and brumation, these are just tools that we use so that we could try to interpret when they're going to ovulate and all of that. But at the end of the day, a snake's still going to breed if they want to breed. I've heard of some breeders who have not brumated and not light cycled and they still have fertile clutches. So, you know, at the end of the day, they're still an animal. It's, you know, it's going to happen. But we're just trying to put a little bit more predictability, a little bit more control so that we have the tools to help them if they need help. So, you know, if anything happens like impaction or whatnot, like the eggs. From my understanding with the brumation, you're more likely to have more fertility and more virility. So you're likely to have healthier clutches, right? Bigger clutches, healthier clutches. Right. So actually that's where the temps come in. It's just like in humans when 
you're trying to encourage fertility we tell the men hey don't wear those tidy whities wear those like loose boxer briefs make sure to wear cotton don't wear silk and restricting fabrics that's for a reason sperm dies at high temps and that goes across the board for animals sorry men no more tidy whities for you I know they're your favorite. Yeah, I know. They're so popular. So hot. I love seeing my men in that. Those tidy white. Anyways. <laughs> so same goes for that. The brumation actually encourages fertility in especially the male ognoses. So some of those spring temps might go all over the place. Sometimes it's super hot all of a sudden, especially with global warming the temps are going to swing. So essentially what we're doing is we're mimicking a controlled winter and spring that never allows that temp to get high enough to kill the sperm. So obviously more sperm equals more fertility equals bigger clutches. Uh, that makes sense. Yay, exo facto. Moral of the story for this episode today is men don't wear tidy whities if you want a baby mama, <laughs> let's preference that. That's true. Yes. Let's think about, do I want a baby mama? <laughs> so then the real moral of the story is don't put tidy whities on your snakes. Yeah, I don't know how we got there, but I feel like we got there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. I'm glad I am taking away all the best things from oh, this lesson. <laughs> you don't want to see the visual I have right now. <laughs> I kind of do. <laughs> Who's the gal in our group who does drawing really well? Oh, no. <laughs> we need a visual representation. So we'll have a hognose snake, and then he's wearing little tidy whities and then we'll put a red circle with a slash going through it and be like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. And that, ladies and gents and gents and ladies, is part one of hognose care. <laughs> We're such professionals. We are super professional business ladies. Yes. I think I'm ready to sign off. I'm Trinity Hart, and I'm here to remind you that the joy of discovery is an adventure that never ends. And I'm Susie Moon, and I'm excited to discover every single mystery of the Hognose with you. Ooh, we did it! Let's go! Yay! <laughs> we did <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to remind our wonderful listeners that we're here to spark curiosity and to bring you engaging and educational content. But everything we say on this podcast is based on our personal opinions and experiences. We want to encourage you to dive deeper, explore multiple perspectives, and always conduct your own research as well. Thank you for tuning in and let curiosity be your guide. Hognosis, Hognosis for, for life! life. <laughs>